Hi everyone, this is Sylvia Dixon, recording from Toledo, Ohio. And this is Jade Wanamaker, recording from Dallas, Texas. And welcome to our podcast, What Didn't Kill Me. So anything new, Jade? So we are all actually getting ready to go out for filming. Uh, We leave in, I think, two days at the time of this recording. But we are all super stoked and super anxious and are beyond excited to get through another part of the process because you know we get down there and we film and we record and then we go into actually creating and stitching the pieces together so there's still a lot of steps for us to do but we're really excited for this step and this is for your out of focus group. yes this is for out of Fo- out of focus productions and you can't tell me where you're having this filming at I think it's just mostly for under wraps type stuff. Oh, okay. At the very least on the recording. (laughs) Okay. So what do you think of our new outro? I love it. I think it's super adorable. I always love little Z, so I, I appreciated it. He sounded really, really good. Doesn't he? He always says he wants to be a YouTuber, and we're like, yeah, sure. And then afterwards, after he recorded that, Daryl's like, you know, maybe we should just let him try. <laughs> yeah. He's like a natural. Well, good. Yeah, he sounded like a natural. And I think that he could definitely probably have a decent time at it. He's, he always says, you know, Mom, when I'm a, a famous YouTuber. <laughs> Or if we want something and we can't get it right now, he's like, wait till I'm a famous YouTuber, Mom, and then I'll get it for you. Aw, he's sweet. I can't believe he's going to be 10. I know. Any other news or anything? I don't believe so. Okay, so who's going first today? I like it when you go first. Okay. The person I'm doing, her name is Sherry Thomas. And for those who are really into true crime... If you don't know her name, I think a lot of people will figure it out eventually. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell the story. So, Sherry Thomas was a student at Tallahassee, uh, Florida State University. And it was January 1978 this incident occurred. Okay. Now, she lived blocks away from the college but it was off campus and she shared like a duplex with one of her friends she had one side and her friend Nancy had the other and then six weeks before this incident happened another friend of theirs named Debbie had moved in to in, in on Nancy's side of the house so we've got okay. Sherry Nancy mm-hmm. and Debbie. Yes. Okay. And Sherry, Sherry lived on the left side of the house, and she had that one all to herself. But the walls are thin and everything, and they constantly hung out together and, and whatnot. It just worked for the best for them, Yeah, being in college. Absolutely. Totally get that. And she is 21 years old at the time. Yeah, I know uh, during college... Me and a couple of my college friends, we all rented a house together. I remember that. 
So like I said, it's January, and they've all come back from the holidays, and they're all going out to their favorite place, and the uh, place they love to go is called Big Daddy's. Okay. This club has nothing to do with this story. I just thought it was funny that there's a club called Big Daddy's, and it was disco night. Okay. <laughs> That's cute. So, it's disco night, and they love going there. And she meets her two friends, or roommates. They're at the bar, or club, because she has a date that night. And she goes, drives to his house. Then they go to the bar. They meet up with everybody. Well, she wants to end the night early, because she's got class or studying or something going on the next day. So... She goes back to her boyfriend's house, and her boyfriend asks her, you know, hey, why don't you just stay the night? You seem really tired. You can just stay here and go in the morning. Well, she insists, no, no, she's going to go home. So she goes home. Like I said, this is around midnight. So around 2 o'clock, Debbie and Nancy come home, and they see that the other lights are off in the house on the on the other side, so they know that Sherry has gone to sleep. So Debbie and Nancy get ready for for bed themselves. And since Debbie had only moved in a very short time, she's sleeping on the floor. On the floor? And Nancy, of course, is in her bed. Yeah, on the in, in Nancy's bedroom. Gotcha, okay. And Debbie's usually a very heavy sleeper, but rather it's because she was sleeping on the floor or... It was a new place still to her, but for some reason, she was very easily woken up that night. I have a feeling that's going to be a good thing. Yes. So Debbie started hearing these bumps and thumps, and she woke up Nancy. At first, Nancy, of course, was annoyed being woken up in the middle of the night. And then they started hearing more noises, and louder. Like, just thud, thud, boom, thud. I mean, constant. Like, almost fighting or throwing things. So Nancy got a sick feeling. So she called her boyfriend. And her boyfriend said, well, maybe she's got a guy over. And they're like, no, Nancy doesn't do that. So he's like, well, if you're that scared, call the police. Did he offer to come over or anything? No. Well, that's kind of rude. So Nancy and Sherry had a pact when they first moved in. That they would answer each other's phones no matter what time of day. Or what was going on. So, after Nancy had got done talking to her boyfriend, she called over to Sherry's place. And they could hear the phone ring, but she didn't answer the phone. And then they heard a very loud boom. Oh. And then they heard whimpering. And then there was nothing. They called the police, and then less than a minute, there were police everywhere there. Now, this part is kind of important for later, and I will tell you why. But just try to remember this part. Okay. So the police get in there, and the girls, since I said the the walls were so thin, they could hear everything going on, so they could hear the police talking and everything. And then one of them yells, she's alive. Oh. Okay, so then they, evidently it was bad enough that when they got in there, they thought she was dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my. So Sherry survived. She spent nine days in the hospital. She couldn't 
of course, remember anything at first. Uh, she had a broken jaw in two places, oh. a dislocated shoulder, five skull fractures. Oh, my God. And permanent, and she became permanently deaf in one ear, oh. which left her with severe balance issues. This is kind of important because her major in college was dance. She was in ballet and stuff like that. So after a few days, she being in the hospital, she didn't seem like she was getting any better. So the doctors and nurses had the two friends come in and talk to her and see her. And it did make her feel better. And, and it kind of was a turning point for her because she didn't feel so isolated or alone. Because before, they weren't letting the other girls in. Why? They didn't really say. I don't know if it was Sherry's family who didn't really want them in. But I know that they just at first, they kept the girls kept trying to go in and see her and they kept being denied. But then the police came to them and stuff and said, hey, they really want you to go and see her now. Okay. Also, another little tidbit is Sherry would kind of freak out at male nurses. She'd get really quiet and big-eyed and almost panic attack, but not quite. Okay. While the investigation was going on, they dusted for fingerprints and handprints and everything, and they found the guy, this guy's handprint on Sherry's back door. They also found this guy's handprint on Debbie and Nancy's back door. <gasps> But for some reason, he couldn't get in. So, they eventually caught someone. And I'm not going to say who right yet. Okay? okay. They eventually caught someone. And sometime later, all three of them had to go and testify on what happened, what they heard, what they remembered, what they saw. And during Debbie and Nancy's, what do you call it? I don't want to say interrogation. But when they were in court... On the stand? On the stand, thank you. When they were on the stand, the suspect didn't even bother looking their way. He just was doodling or doing something. He was very quiet. He he didn't really acknowledge him. However, when Sherry was on the stand, he couldn't stop looking. He, like was frozen looking at her the whole entire time while she described things. What had happened to her, how she's doing, what happened that night, everything. He just was in a trance just looking at her. That's creepy. Yes. So he was convicted on the charges. He ended up serving a death penalty. But it wasn't just because of the attack on her. It was also because he had attacked other women. Do you know who this man is? So the clues are the name, in case you know the name of the girl. Like I said, her name is Sherry Thomas. It was Tallahassee, Florida. And it was January 15th, 1978. No, I have no idea. The person who attacked her was Ted Bundy. <gasps> oh my gosh. And the reason, you remember how I said the police were there in less than a minute? Yeah. Sherry and Debbie Nancy's house was less than five blocks away from the Omega house. And that is where Ted Bundy had broken in 
to the house, to the sorority house, and had killed a couple girls and had beaten a few other girls and raped some women there. So the police were already at the scene at the sorority house. And when they got a call saying another woman was attacked, somebody had broken into her house or possibly broken into her house and was being attacked, the sheriff said, what is a coincidence that this is happening tw- twice in one night? Mm. So he immediately sent a bunch of guys racing down there. So, and that is what Ted Bundy was convicted of, was both the attack on Sherry that night and the attack at the Omega house. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Sherry ended up moving to Texas, where she still studied, where she still studied ballet. She went to a school for the death, and she learned sign language, and she eventually became a teacher, and she works with teaching dance to children with the hearing impaired issues. So that's what she did with her life. That's sweet. So Sherry says she's not a victim, that she's a survivor, because she doesn't want that night to affect the rest of her life. Right. She's moved on, but she feels like she has to tell her story. So even though it's been years, she still does interviews, she still does documentaries, she still talks about it. She says she does that because she lived to tell her story, but so many other victims of Ted Bundy weren't able to, that they're gone. So that she feels like she has to tell her story so they know the cruelty, his cruelty, and what he was capable of, and try to think of his other victims. And that is the end of my story of Sherry Thomas. Very nice. I never know what to say after the story, because I'm always like, good job. And I'd, it's like, <laughs> good job. But also, like... It's so hard because I, I want to put myself in their shoes and, like, think about, you know, ifs, ands, buts, and whatnots. Um, <laughs> I, I can't do whatnots anymore. <laughs> nope. You are forever now grounded from whatnots. I'm glad that she's not just okay with telling her story, but, like, wants to tell her story. That takes a lot of strength. In the documentary that I watched, or one of the documentaries, mm-hmm. Sherry... And the other two girls, Nancy and Debbie, the last time they saw each other was at court. Oh. At his sen- sentencing. Wow. And then they all three got together for doing this special that I watched. And it was, of course, very teary-eyed and, and everything. They all cried and sat down and showed pictures. It was very sweet. That does sound really sweet. I'm glad that they were able to, like, come back and see each other for a little bit and we're able to connect again. Yeah. I mean, Sherry is the main focus of the story and and the survival, but imagine what the other two girls had gone to gone through as well. Right. I mean, you realize that you heard your best friend being attacked in the next room. Right. And and being trying to be murdered. So, yeah. I can't imagine that. Of course, I can't imagine half the stories we talk about on That's also true. Speaking of, I will go ahead and talk about my case now. Okay, I ready. Okay, so my case is over Satomu Yamaguchi. Okay, is this a famous case or a yes, famous thing yes. or no? Um, 
Especially if you are a history buff, you would probably recognize this name. So Yamaguchi worked as a naval engineer at Mitsubishi. See, I can't do this. Mitch Mitsubishi. 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 <laughs> yes. I I'm laughing at myself. Okay. Got the kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Yamaguchi worked as a naval engineer at Mitsubishi in order to support both his wife and his child. While he was working as a Mitsubishi employee, he was on a business trip. Um, and that was to Hiroshima. Oh. The date. What year is this? Of the trip. He was currently in Hiroshima on August 6th, 1945. Oh. I have a feeling you know where this is going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I So, do. Mr. Yamaguchi heard an explosion and was, like, instantly thrown to the ground. Like, boom, you're on the ground. And he described his surroundings as all of a sudden everything went dark and it was dark but there was fire everywhere so you had some light from that but it's like the sky blacked out and um all of the buildings that were around him any of the houses or or businesses or schools they were just gone and if the building wasn't gone it was mostly gone and was just on fire and another thing that he had noticed was that it went completely silent. So it's dark minus the firelight and everything and everyone is gone and there is silence. And the only thing I could possibly think of to kind of try and get me in this mindset is if I were to think of, you know, being in the middle of a New York street and then just complete silence. That and stop of movement and everything. Right? Like, that to me would be deafening silence. Yes. Yes, it would. And then he passed out. When he came to from passing out, he didn't know where he was. The only thing I can think of is, like, when I wake up after going to somebody else's house or, you know, going to a party and staying the night somewhere. You wake up and you're like, where am I? Where did I go to sleep? I'll I'll even do this just with going and sleeping in the living room. And it's like, this is not how the sun comes through in my bedroom. Where am I? <laughs> so he was incredibly disoriented, which makes complete and total sense once I tell you what has happened. But we're not going to get oh, to that quite yet. I know what happened. He laid in the rubble. Or I'm sorry. He got up from the rubble, which was all that was left of the city. And he pretty much stumbled through it for a couple hours, and he would lift rocks and debris in order to help those who were stuck and injured, but occasionally he would help and they would just be bodies. They would not be alive. Poor man. All in all, he only had a couple few... A couple few? A couple few. A couple few. All in all, his only injuries were bleary eyes, so he was real hard to see. Um, he was basically blinded at that moment, or during his time walking through the city. His eardrums had burst, and his torso was burned real badly. So what might cause these injuries and 
the total disappearance destruction of yeah. the city destruction of the city and disappearance of all life would be the fact that I know, I know, I okay, know. Okay, what what happened? It was a drop of the uh, atomic bomb. Yes, it was. The uh, nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was named Little Boy. It dropped a little over 31,000 feet, or a little less than 950 meters, and it detonated uh, 1,000... It detonated almost 2,000 feet above ground, and um, what was said was the pilot dropped the bomb, and he looked back, and when he did, it was roughly, I think, 43 seconds, and it had detonated. And when it did, the plane was uh, 11 and a half miles away from it, from, from where it dropped, and it shook. After surviving the first bombing to have happened with a, an atomic bomb, let me see how many times I can say that. Oh my god. So after he survived the first atomic bomb, that. Oh my god. He went home. Um, or, I'm sorry. He survived and he found shelter. For that night, and then in the morning, he was able to take a, ho- a train home. Um, Where did he live? He lived about 300-ish kilometers away, um, southwest of Hiroshima, and his hometown was uh, Nagasaki. Oh my god. When he arrived home, he told his family what had happened, and they were shaken. Because this, again, nothing like this has had ever happened before. And then they're right. looking at him and seeing what's happened, and they're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And so, I think it was two days, yeah, about two days later, uh, he went back into work um, to try and this- get back to life um, and do his job and whatnot. He- get back yeah, to normal. Yeah, exactly. His hands. Yeah, I know the story. I remember the story now. <laughs> well, shh, don't spoil it. <laughs> so his hands were shaking, and um, he was just doing the best that he could. And this is, sorry, two days later, this is August 9th. And during that workday, he went in to tell his bosses, and he was like, this totally happened. And they were like, yeah, that's crazy, and I don't think anything like that happened before but okay sure like that was pretty much the gist of it was like yeah okay sure i'm i'm sure that happened i'm real sorry for so like they don't believe yeah, exactly them. they're like i doubt that's what happened but okay sure so yeah i know the story what i said yeah i know the story <laughs> of course people who do know history knows what's coming too yeah. So, on August 9th, at 11 a.m., a second bombing occurred, and it happened in Nagasaki. And when Yamaguchi saw the second cloud, he thought it was the original first cloud that had followed him from Hiroshima. And he thought, oh my goodness, I, you know, maybe I'm just dreaming, but he sadly was not. And 
the bomb named the Fat Man was indeed dropped. So, do you want... Let's see, do you... Hmm. I could split off and tell the story a couple different ways. Interesting. So, obviously, our podcast is called What Didn't Kill Me, and Yamaguchi did survive not only the first bombing in Hiroshima, but the second bombing in Nagasaki. However, with that, he did have reoccurring nightmares, and... um, The thing? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean... I have nightmares about things that don't happen to me. I can't even imagine about what has happened to me. Watching two towns get destroyed, right. yeah. And and surviving both of them. He also um, wouldn't talk about his nightmares or the events of what happened because... Well, probably part of it because people ridiculed him and stuff the first time it happened. Well, yeah. And he tried to tell <laughs> that's, people. That's true. I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> But he actually went silent and didn't want to talk about it. And he was silent for 50 years. Wow. However, going back to our podcast name, both his wife and his child survived. Aww. They were traumatized and they suffered from radiation poisoning. But his wife was actually out of the house shopping to buy more supplies to take care of his wounds. And so she was farther from where the second bomb was dropped than she would have been if she was just at home. And I'm guessing his daughter was with them and too young for school yes, or something? Yes, I, I believe it was his son, but I could also be wrong. So between the two, it's estimated that between 90,000 and 146,000 people were killed in Hiroshima and approximately 40,000 to 80,000 people were killed in Nagasaki. So did he end up with radiation poisoning at all? So That I don't remember. He, I'll get to that in just a moment. So in 2005, he is 89 years old and he breaks his silence. He tells his family, he tells his neighbors, he talks to his students, he talks to his relatives, and he just keeps describing the horrors of what he endured, and he began to fight against nuclear technology. And this was a constant, uh, so much so that he did a speech, at a, a United Nations speech. In his 80s, he not only wrote a book, but he was also invited to take part in a 2006 documentary called Twice Survived, the Doubly Atomic Bombed of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and that was about 165 double atomic bomb survivors. That was screened at the United Nations, and while he was at the screening, he pleaded with all of his heart for the abolition of atomic weapons. I think I've seen the documentary. That's probably how I know know of him. That would make sense, yeah. Because... I'm all into that kind of stuff, so. He promised himself, and I quote, No one in history would have to live through what I had lived through. March 24th of 2009, the Japanese government named him the only one to have survived both bombings. In January 2010, 
Um, on the 4th, he was 93 years old when he died of stomach cancer, which I believe was traced back to at least one of the bombings. I'm sure. I can't believe he lasted that right? long. I it's it's amazing. Yeah, he must have taken he must have taken really good care of himself after that because yeah. Before he died, he said my mission is done. Aww. So he he really spent the rest of his life trying to fight and advocate for the abolition of nuclear weapons or atomic weapons and um I don't blame him. Yeah, I, I don't blame him either. I have noted here that there may have been upwards of approximately 160, maybe more, uh, people who survived one of the two bombings, but he's the only one to have survived both of them. Damn. But could you imagine, like, that's a hard week. I've had hard weeks, but that's a hard freaking week. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I've, I'm sorry. I just did not expect you to go there. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Oh God! Like, I've heard the phrase "feeling like you've been hit by a truck," but two atomic bombs is really something else. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I guess we have no right to complain about our uh, work weeks or. Our weeks in right? general. Could you imagine? Like, I c imagine one. Just one. Now double it. Yeah, my, you know, my car broke down. I was late for work. I got a demotion. I'm fighting with my family. My bills are overdue. How bad is your week? Well, I survived two atomic bombs. <laughs> Uh dear lord. And could you imagine like the part of the reason why his bosses didn't believe him was because communications through technology hadn't quite made it that far. Hadn't advanced Yeah, there yet. was still delay. And then of course and then of course after the bombs happened there was no communication whatsoever. Do you know I don't remember in the documentary, but do you know what happened to the people at his work? Was his building affected by the bombs? I mean, did it crumble? I don't remember. I want to say that, that they did. I'm pretty sure he may have been the only one to survive in his workplace. That's what I was thinking. Or he's one of the few survivors. Yeah. Could you also, like, imagine being at, like, near ground zero and walking out of that back into civilization? Did you watch the documentary before you did the no, story? No, I did not. Or you just know of the documentary? I do know of the documentary. I very well may have seen it at some point without actually knowing. You may have seen it with me. I believe that. Because if it came out in 2006, we were both still in Florida. Yeah. And I love stuff on Pearl Harbor and... You know, all that kind of things. So, You like history. It could very well. Yeah, I love history. Don't ask me to give you <laughs> dates, specific dates or times or whatnot. 
but I enjoy learning history. How's that? Yes. So that is my case of the man who survived both atomic bombs. And I guess we don't have to do an outro outro either. I guess not. Bye. So I guess <laughs> we just say goodbye, guys. Enjoy Bye, your week. Guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast, What Didn't Kill Me. You can find us at whatdidn'tkillme.club. You can also find links from our social media there as well. And remember, What Didn't Kill Me makes a great podcast. Bye. Bye, everyone.